Who in your life has selective hearing? Um, they have that uncanny ability to uh, just kind of miss it. I don't know if they just ignore you or they like choose to not hear. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's the the hearing aid. You know that you but you know they're lying. They always they always blame the hearing aid. It's not the hearing aid. Um, maybe it's that friend who, while you're talking to them, their, their head is down like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, yep, 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 yep. And you know that all they're doing is scrolling through TikTok, and they aren't hearing a single thing that you are saying to them. Um, for those of you who don't know what TikTok is, you don't need to know, and you don't need to ever know. It's, oh, social apps. Okay, um, maybe it's that one child that you know if you don't, like, take both shoulders and get their, like, direct eye contact, and even, like, you know, gently shake them. Be like, do not go in the house until after you take your boots off. Take your boots off on the mat outside the house, and then they go make a muck of everything. Well, maybe you're not even hearing this right now. Maybe you've already tuned me out. Uh, You have selective hearing for sermons. Pastor Brian, are you turning your hearing aid off right now? Are you, tune, are you tuning me out? He's not. I said I would throw him under the bus today, so that's me doing that. Um, Pastor Brian, thank you for always listening to my talks. There we go. There's the thumbs up. Um, well, in the passage, let me read this passage to you for you, for you right now. Uh, it's found in Mark chapter 13. Um, we'll start here. Therefore, Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Uh, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Uh, What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Okay, there it is. I say to everyone, watch. All right, so in that passage that we just heard, Jesus is finishing off a complex teaching about the destruction of the temple and end times. There's this tension that has been going on throughout the test, or throughout the text, but then at this particular moment, there's this tension. On one hand, we have uh, Jesus is declaring actually that there are things that we could know things that we could understand. There are signs, there are hints before Jesus comes back a second time. And then, on the other hand, he's declaring to all of us that we will never know the time, we won't know the hour, not even the angels nor Jesus himself will know when the second coming happens. And so with that, uh, he has that, uh, I'll see that verse again. Uh, He has verse 35 where he says, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it is in the evening or at night or when the rooster crows or or, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. I'll be honest, when I was younger, This might be the case for a lot of you. When I was younger, uh, the conversation around end times terrified me. It it was not an exciting experience. And I I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, what does it mean to not be ready? 
And how do I be ready? And, and how, what if I miss it? And what does ready even mean? And I would have all of these thoughts going through my mind, kind of like if there's a guy, an, a man sitting at a bus stop, and he's waiting for a bus, he's waiting for the bus, he's getting tired, he falls asleep, his head droops, the bus comes, the bus doesn't stop for him and just keeps on driving. And just as he's like waking up from the fumes, the exhaust of the, of the bus, he's like, I missed my bus. Is that what it's like? Is that what it's going to be like? And then that's the last bus ever for all time. And you will never make, your, make it home. <sighs> that, that used to terrify me. It used to be something that would keep me up at night, keep me worrying, and keep me wondering. Fortunately, with good biblical study, uh, courses, community, God's Holy Spirit guiding and directing, fear for myself is no longer an emotion that I think captures end times. Um, if you're in a place of fear and uncertainty about end times, please reach out to me. I would love to grab a coffee and have a conversation about end times conversations. Today, however, while the passage points a bit towards that, my focus is not going to be on end times. My focus is on what Jesus asks of the disciples, both here and in the next chapter, in chapter 14. It is a request that is filled with intensity, vulnerability, urgency, necessity. Um, and in fact, I would say that it's one of the greatest or strongest asks that Jesus makes of his disciples in the entire gospel. One of his greatest requests to them. And yet, and yet, the disciples have this selective hearing where they just don't quite get it. It's as if for the entire gospel series, they've always sort of thought that Jesus's conversations about his death and where things are headed, it was just one big April Fool's joke. But it's not. And when we look back at our own lives, you know, have you ever received really good news, really good information, but you just it just didn't stick. You didn't really hear it. You didn't perceive it as that valuable. And so you just got on with the rest of your life. And then only later you look back and truly understand why that information was given. This is the kind of situation that we're going to explore today. Hindsight can be a bit of a cruel judge, but it's really informative. And the disciples and Peter most of all, oh, poor Peter. Peter gets such a hard time by us. Like we just... We love to like just put so much on him. But Peter, you can picture him weeping and beating his chest and crying out, why didn't I listen to my friend? Why did I not heed his request? Why did I not listen to the words that he offered me? Now, as many of you know, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark for the past several months. And last week, we heard a great message from Pastor Tammy about the Last Supper and what Jesus did for us there. And now, right after supper, they went away to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus tells them this. Um, it's a strong statement. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter, oh dear, beautiful Peter, declares with such like conviction, I will never, I will never fall away from you. I will never walk away. 
I will not. To which Jesus then responds, as we all know, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself, so there's no, you know, there's no debate, you yourself, Peter, will disown me three times. But then Peter insists, right? We know the story. He insists, even if I have to die, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples joined in in the same agreement. We would never. Such pride, such confidence, his ability to believe in himself and to say, I will never. With so much conviction, so much belief, and yet, he can't hear it. He can't see what's going on. He can't be ner- He's not nervous. He just presses forward. And I want to jump to kind of later on in the story. This is where that kind of pride, that kind of perspective, this is where Peter ends up. So with that pride, from the Mount of Olives, they end up in this small place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now what's really great about this word Gethsemane is it means oil press. Um, And it is here that Jesus is spiritually pressed by the weight of what he knew was to come. It is a painful, lonely night. And at the end of this night, Jesus wakes his friends and says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And the story goes, right? Judas brings the crowd, gives a kiss. Peter, with all, he comes out of his stupor, right? We just picture him sleeping. He comes out of his stupor with all of his energy. He goes and he attacks with violence and aggression. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, it's not actually stated that it's Peter who does the uh, attack, where he cuts the ear off of the servant, But in the other Gospels, it's identified as Peter. So we know that Peter grabs his sword, reaches out in violence, slices the man's ear off, trying to do what he thinks is best in this circumstance. Using his judgment, his wisdom, what he knows to do. And it leads to violence. And then... After that, Jesus kind of says, no, 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 and he gathers the group, and then he gets handcuffed and brought away. And then in verse 50, it says that, then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. These disciples ended up being scared to death. They all ran away. They all left, including Peter. And then Peter from a distance, right, as the story goes, he's hiding out. He's watching as Things are taking place as Jesus is being tortured, as Jesus is defending himself in silence. All of this, he's watching from a distance. He's warming his hands by a fire, all quiet in the corner. And then the servant girl comes up and says, Hey, hey, uh, you're with that Nazarene, weren't you? Aren't you? And he's like, No, 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 no. I don't even know what you're talking about. Don't even know. And then later on, he runs away. He goes to the entryway, and he's like just hanging out. And the same servant girl comes up and says, No, honestly, I really think that you were with him. Like, aren't you? And he's like, No, and denies it again. And then we know that the third time, the people that are standing near him, they gather around. It's like, No, you were. You are one of them. You are a Galilean. And then he brings down a curse and says, I don't know this man you are talking about. 
Immediately the roaster crows. Uh, The second time, shame washes over him. He breaks down and he weeps. That's, That's his outcome for not heeding the words that Jesus asked him to heed. That is our outcome. That is, when I'm honest, that is my outcome. We think we can handle what comes. We think we understand the threats. We think we understand temptation and that we can handle it, that I can handle it, that you can handle it. But the truth is, we have no idea how hard it really is. We think that we can be selective in our hearing when Jesus gives his disciples that great word. A word that, if heeded, brings stability, strength, and fruit resembling the life of Jesus. And then a request that if it's ignored, right, it, it, it produces violence. It produces fear and shame. And so what's this advice? Well, it starts in the passage that we just heard. But it's dramatized in chapter 14. So Mark 13, 37 says this. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now, in the entire Gospel of Mark, um, there's one consistent, sustained conversation that we need to pay attention and we need to watch. And up until this point, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus uses the word in Greek, it's called blepo. That's a, I like that word, blepo. You should name your fish after that, or your firstborn, blepo. Yeah, that'd be a great, great option for you to do. Um, blepo. And this word, blepo, um, It basically means pay attention, be aware of, keep alert to. And it's been what we've been, it's what we've been hearing so far in the Gospels. He's been saying, be aware of, watch out in this kind of way. But then things intensify and now there's a shift. And so Jesus, as he's getting closer to the cross, things are intensifying. Everything is intensifying. The anger of his enemies increasing. Jesus' concern for the disciples is increasing. The disciples' confusion and misunderstandings is only increasing. And Jesus switches from this word blepo to a different word, gregoreo, which means keep watch, be vigilant. And this vigilance, this new word is more than just eyes open. It's more than just pay attention. It is an active effort to be attentive, to seek, to work at staying attentive. It is vigilance. Think of it this way. Uh, You have your children. uh, They're playing in a green space by your house. And you remind them, kids, stay on the left side of the field because... Over there, it's a little too close to the road, and there's that corner where cars whip around, and they're like, yeah, 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 and then they're playing. And then one of them kicks the soccer ball, and it lands, and it's going straight onto the road, and they're making a beeline for it. And you can tell by their eyes and their intensity of their run, they have completely forgotten about the instruction to be attentive. So in that moment, you yell, watch out, look out, Bleppo McDowell, stop right now. You make that effort and you make sure that they know that they need to stop right there in their tracks. This is an emergency. And this is the kind of shift that Jesus makes 
in that passage as well as in chapter 14. He makes this new step. He makes this new effort with his disciples. It's not just be attentive, be careful, be on alert. It's vigilant, eyes wide open, work at this. You've got to fight. This is where it's all headed. And they are frustratingly, depressingly casual about these requests. So from a wise suggestion, we now have the imperative. From a should to a you must. And three times he uses this word. Be vigilant, be on guard, watch out. Three times Jesus is speaking to the disciples as though he's like grabbing their shoulders, being like, please, see this, understand this. This is new, this is important. Staying awake, though, is really hard, right? Um, in the story, it, it asks the, 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 the keeper, the doorkeeper, to stay awake, right? That's in the parable. Stay awake through all four of the Roman shifts through the evening. Stay awake. And then in the garden, Jesus asks them to stay awake and to stay with him. But it's so hard. Staying awake is hard. Um, uh, the closest comparison could be what? Like, Driving, right? Driving late at night. You've had a big meal, or maybe it's right now in the service. Um, staying awake, you're driving, and you start to like veer off, and you're like, oh no. And in a crowd this big, I can wager there are several terrifying stories of close calls that some of us have gone through. Also, some really interesting techniques to stay awake. My dad, he was all about the sunflower seeds so that he had to like, like work with it in his mouth and he'd have like, not a pile, he's actually kept quite clean. Um, but myself, whether it's candy, sometimes the window down, music doesn't seem to work for me. I would sing and then eventually I stopped listening. Sometimes I like stories that can engage my mind. Um, or you take, uh, and if nothing else fails, if everything else is failing and you just can't keep your eyes open, what's probably the one smart thing to do that you're all thinking? Take Bleppo, put him on your seat, and have him drive for you. That will keep you awake for sure. Just kidding, never have a child drive. But um, I don't know why I'm camping out with this Bleppo thing. Anyways, I'll stop now. Um, but staying awake is really hard. I remember... Uh, it was the year 2002, and I was a security guard for a downtown office building in Calgary. And my job was from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., and the basics of my job was stay awake. I had to do, like, these little walkabouts where I had to check doors and temperatures of certain, like, server rooms and that sort of thing. But between the hours of 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. were terrible. They were so hard to stay awake. It was so much work for me to stay attentive because it was so boring. We didn't do anything. We just sat there with our feet up and then I'd walk and pace and just try to stay engaged because it was so much work. Um, so anyways, with all of that in mind, we can have a bit of sympathy, a bit of sympathy for the disciples falling asleep after a long meal. This is in chapter 14. They've had this long meal and Jesus goes off to the garden and asks them to be vigilant, to stay awake. So when all of the disciples, you know, they fall asleep, I think we can have a bit of empathy. Um, let's explore a little bit of where all of this heads, is headed and what does Jesus do that actually gives us great hope 
in this passage. Um, this is the stuff for us to like hold on to and to work with. So what does Jesus show us? First of all, in verse 32, let me read this for you. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said that to them. Stay here and keep watch. Jesus demonstrates, in my, in my eyes, a profound vulnerability in this moment. Here's a man, the anointed son of God, so much power, so much authority, able to wield so much. These disciples have already seen him transfigured on the mountain. They've already seen him raise a child from the dead. He's seen all of this. And now he's coming to his friends in vulnerability, to his three closest friends saying, I'm distressed. My heart is heavy. I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm deeply distressed. I love that picture of vulnerability. You can feel that this request isn't really coming from, from the Son of God, the Almighty and all-powerful. This is coming from the request of a, of a friend who doesn't want to be alone. A friend who is showing them honest distress, sorrow, and a troubled heart. But let's continue on. Chapter, or verse 35. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible to you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? There's an urgency here, right? There's, this, there's an urgency that this, with this second request of being vigilant, we hear that he actually says Simon. He doesn't even say Peter now. There's this sense of distancing, like using the original name, the name his mom gave him. It's like using that Trent Maurice McDowell, why did you fall asleep? That is my middle name, Maurice. There's an, an urgency. And it's not just, and he's even saying just one hour. All you needed was one hour. Like, couldn't you just stay awake, stay vigilant, stay praying, stay up for just one hour? You don't even have to do the whole night. I'll take one hour. And then, on top of that, Jesus gives us a clear reason. You can almost imagine him saying, Simon, like, you, you saw my need, you saw my distress, you saw my sorrow. If that wasn't enough to keep you awake, perhaps a warning will. Verse 38, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you remember one thing, one thing from today, it's that sobering truth. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew the necessity of vigilant prayer. He demonstrated it in his life. 
He understood that the battle was taking place in ways and in forms that we couldn't understand, that his disciples couldn't grasp, but he understood it. And that the only true defense was intentional prayer. That success only came through vigilant communion with God, spending that time. In my own life, I've observed that it's precisely those moments when I think my flesh or I think my spirit is, is willing and my flesh is willing and capable. I've got this. I've, I'm okay. I've got everything put together. It's in those moments that I'm reminded of how weak my defenses truly are. And like Peter, who thought he was strong, only discovered that it was the opposite. And in this time, when Jesus comes back to his disciples on repeated occasions, he demonstrates for us a pattern and a practice of why vigilant prayer is necessary. What we see first is that it is a defense against the enemy, right? He leaves it at the very end. He's just very clear. You need this so that you can withstand temptation. You think you're strong, you're not. It is a defense against the enemy. But what it also does is it correctly sorts out our values. So what we saw with Peter is that at the end of this time of prayer that he doesn't do, he acts out in violence, right? He sees a challenge in front of him. He sees a problem. He sees conflict. And his first response, his instinctive response, is violence. And then when the challenge gets even worse, he flees in fear. He runs away. And then finally, later on, he denies and he rejects Jesus. These are the outcomes. These are the, the eventual natural byproducts of us who are not vigilant in our prayer and in our communion with God. We just start to lose touch. We start to lose connection with what is truly going on. Our values are out of alignment. We think, we think violence is better than peace. We think that we have to run instead of being steadfast. And then third, we get this glimpse into the power of vulnerability, the request of Jesus. Without vigilant prayer, we fall into temptation, leading to fear, violence, and shame. And so what, so what do we need to know? What do we need to do with this? Well, number one is invite others in. Invite others in. Be vulnerable with your need. Jesus, the perfect son, right? He, he didn't need to do this. He turns to his disciples and, say, and says what's going on in his heart. He's honest. He laments his fear. He laments his frustration. I know that for a lot of years, there's been a, a, a particularly in the West, there's a way of thinking, particularly about manhood, that you need to be stoic, that you need to be put together, that you don't portray your pain and your fear, you hold it in, you manage it yourself. But if we take seriously that Jesus is our guide and our leader, the one that we follow after, he's the perfect representation of how we are supposed to be, even in his strength, he is vulnerable and honest that he's afraid, he's concerned, he's got a weight on his shoulders. With that, we have no excuse we have no excuse to hide our brokenness or, or, and, and keep our fears locked in, to not talk about these things. 
Church, it is so important for us to get real, for us to be accountable, for us to have prayer partners, for us to have small groups where we actually say what's going on in our hearts. If Jesus can do it, and Jesus does it, so can we. He models for us that we need to do that, or we just slowly get locked up inside ourselves. We slowly, quietly keep making the excuses That's something that I think is really valuable and really important for us. And honestly, you would be amazed. This is from personal experience. You would be amazed at how honesty with another person can instantly expose truth from lies. And the main lie is that our flesh is weak. And you'd be amazed at how vulnerability with another person can instantly open up and produce a new resolve and a new strength and a new conviction that wakes you up and gets you excited about the call of God in your life. It gives you new hope and gives you new passion, new energy. And you'd be amazed at how humility with another person can also encourage them to walk in the light. And next thing you know, we've moved from a lazy, haphazard spirit to a spirit that's fully awake and fully alive and fully ready to get on with the mission and ministry that God has for us. And then we're not doing it alone. We have a friend. We have a partner. We have comrades. We have a community that has acknowledged the vulnerability, the weakness, the humanity of it all. If you are drifting off the road, if you're starting to get tired, have a friend grab the wheel and help you out. Let someone in. The second thing that I think we can take from this passage, this necessity for vigilant prayer, is do just a little. I remember growing up, and you hear all of these great stories about these men and women of God who, you know, at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., are on their knees praying, and it's just, it's like, whoa, how do they do this? And we build prayer up to be so big, sometimes so complicated. I have to say the right words. I have to figure it out in the right way. And all of that just ends up crumbling down in front of us, and we just say, it's too much. I don't have time for this right now. I'll pray later. And we just go on with our day. But we see in the passage that Peter is invited just just one hour, meaning it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the entire time. You don't have to get it right. Just try. Just pray a little. We bog ourselves down with these great stories of men and women. And yes, that's something for us to work towards. But that cannot be our excuse to pray, to not pray. And even just a little makes a dramatic difference. We know, if we think back to certain points in our life, when we just prayed that one really simple, really honest prayer at that one moment, all of a sudden the day shifts. We think different thoughts. We operate differently. We interact differently. And everything has this change because of that five minutes. Make the decision. Commit to just five minutes. Start there. Don't make it so big. And then, let's go back to uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter was so focused on defending his strength 
that he didn't even hear the hope. And the hope was, after you've fallen away, I will go ahead of you. After you've fallen away, I will be raised again. I will be raised to new life. And I, like a shepherd, will go ahead of my flock that's been scattered. I will gather my flock and bring them back. Even as Jesus is declaring that everyone's going to fall away, he's declaring a promise to you and to me. I will be there with you. Peter was so focused on defending his honor, he didn't even hear the good news. He was so busy declaring out of his flesh that he was strong that he never even heard that Jesus was giving him a promise. When you've fallen away, know that Jesus has already made a way back home for you. Jesus knew he'd be abandoned by everyone and he still offers forgiveness. He still offers it today. Today, if you are willing and if you are living in shame and you are living in the frustration of having fallen into temptation, having lashed out in anger, been violent, whatever the case might be, there is hope for you today. There is hope for you today in Jesus. First, ask Jesus to forgive you and trust that he has made away, that he is going ahead of you like a good shepherd who will go ahead of his sheep. He's waiting for you. Second, commit to finding someone you can talk to about your burdens, that you can talk to about the weights that you are carrying. Be honest and vulnerable with some people. Let them in so that together you can move forward. And third, vigilant prayer. We forget that we, we forget the fight that we're in. I do. We forget that the fight isn't flesh and blood. We forget that there's principalities and powers that are at work that are so much more and so much darker than we realize. Don't fall into temptation through vigilant prayer. And I'll close with this. Um, we heard, there's, uh, you saw a small announcement. Uh, there's two things. One, there's that time of prayer next week. I would encourage you to consider coming out uh, that evening. That could be an excellent way for us to be thinking about prayer. And then the second is, in May, uh, us as a church, we are having uh, of 40 days, or is it 50 days? I can't remember. It might be 50 days of prayer leading up to Pentecost Sunday, uh, where we're going to just be finding ways for us to pray and to prepare our hearts for God's renewal. So those are some of the ways that we uh, can respond to God's word today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in pride, Peter ignored the warnings. In pride, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hear your ask to be vigilant. And it led him on a path that ended in shame and in tears and in weeping. And Lord, I know that there's some of us here that, that have done the same, that we've allowed pride, confidence in ourselves, and now we find ourselves frustrated, hurt, alone, confused, un unsure. And Lord, I just ask that you would gather your people, that we would sense your goodness and your love, 
that we would turn away from, from that darkness and that we would be vulnerable with other people, that we would talk about these things, that we would turn to you and in vigilant prayer prepare ourselves for the challenges that come. Lord, thank you for showing us a way. And thank you, Lord, for always being ready, even after we fall away, that you will grab us and bring us back, that you love us as your, your children. Thank you, Lord, so much for this passage. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel, for your good news, and the hope we have in you, Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Go in peace, go in strength, uh, and pray a little. It works.